You know, the word story has its roots in history, the word history. And that's for good reason, because history is filled with powerful stories. On November the 18th, 1861, Julie Ward Howe attended a review of the Union troops in Washington with her husband and their pastor, James Freeman Clark. And while they were there, they heard the very popular song about John Brown's body. Pastor Freeman said the, the song had a stirring tune. It was sung around the campfires of the Union soldiers. But he said, not very good words. And he suggested that she use her poetic talent to create, quote, good words. The next morning, she awoke with the words flowing through her mind. It was before dawn, and she was tempted to go back to sleep, but she said, I must get up and write these verses down, lest I fall asleep again and forget them. Have you ever had that experience? She wrote them down, then went back to bed and fell asleep. It would be a couple of years later in 1864, after Chaplain Jar Charles McCabe had spent time in prison for attending to Confederate soldiers who were wounded at the Battle of Winchester. He was later released, became a celebrity spokesman about his time in, in Libby prison. And on February the 3rd, 1864, he was given the privilege of speaking to the House of Representatives. In attendance that day was President Abraham Lincoln. McCabe was known for having an amazing baritone voice. So he concluded his remarks by singing Howe's Battle Hymn of the Republic. When he finished, some were moved to tears, and the room erupted in applause. Then as the noise began to subside, that one familiar voice was heard over the crowd, that of Abraham Lincoln, saying, sing it again. And we've been singing it again ever since. It's kind of how history is made. Is someone suggests we can do better, and then someone embraces the challenge and does do better. Let's pray for our country now as we celebrate our 245th year of independence. God, we're reminded that behind these stories are powerful, behind these songs are powerful stories. The way that you have used people. Some names that we will never know. You have used them to shape the nation that we are. God, we pray today for our country, recognizing what a privilege it is to live here and understanding a tremendous responsibility. We pray for our leaders as you command us in Scripture. Each one, whether we voted for them or not, we pray, Lord, that you would use them, that you would work in their lives, that they would submit themselves to your lordship in your leadership. You would give them the discernment and wisdom they need to make not only wise decisions, but godly decisions. You tell us in your word, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Lord, we also recognize that the future of America does not lie in elected officials, though their role is incredibly important. You have placed the responsibility of spiritual renewal and awakening, not upon a government, but upon the church. I pray for churches all across this land. Lord, that as we move into a new season of life on the other side of this pandemic, that we would truly experience the awakening of your spirit in our lives individually and collectively as churches. We pray for millions upon millions of people to do just as Blake did and recognize his need to become a follower of Jesus Christ, to submit completely to your lordship. So we pray for that. God, so many times, conversations and talks are concluded with God bless America. We pray that you would. In Christ's name we ask, amen.
Continue to worship you through your preached and proclaimed word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's kind of shocking to see all you guys out there. Isn't it crazy? It's been over a year. It was the second Sunday of March was the last time that we were able to gather together. As a congregation, all of one people at one time, and yet God has done some incredible things in our church life during that time, and uh, we are thrilled about that. One of those things that has happened during this pandemic is Janet and Joe got married. I just see you guys back there. Don't think you can slip in without having to be recognized. Engaged, excuse me, yeah. When did that happen? That was quick. Wow. Congratulations to you guys. Congratulations. Good to have you here today, Joe. You know, as we think about uh, celebrating our 245th day of independence, year of independence, I should say, we're reminded that about every five to ten years, depending on the calendar, July 4th falls on a Sunday. The last was 2010, so it's been over a decade, and the next will be 2027. And so we wanted to have kind of a special day today, and hopefully some of you uh, went all out on the patriotic stuff Anybody really kind of feel like you may be one of the best-dressed patriotic people here today? (laughs) Stand up. Let's recognize you. You put a lot of effort into that. Hey, looking good, guys. Looking good. Linnell? 
You have red, white, and blue toes. There you go. How cool. That is cool. You know, when, when, uh, when my birthday came around, I went out to look for some new boots. Had no idea buying these, but hey, look at these. Got that red flying there. Red, white, and blue. Well, today is a, is, a, is a fun day, it's a serious day, and I realize right now, too, that I'm the only thing standing between you and lunch, and so I will try to be expeditious in this process. But you know, our, um, our, uh, when our kids, grandkids were visiting a couple months ago, I guess it was, yeah, it was back in May, and uh, while they were there, our oldest wanted to know, what street do Mimi and Papa live on? And so the response was, told them where they lived on Park Avenue, and then our middle granddaughter, Eva, piped up and said, we live on Dangerous Street. Well, the reason she was saying that is because our daughter is always telling her that street is dangerous, it's dangerous. Don't go on the street, it's dangerous. So she thinks she lives on Dangerous Street. Well, I bet for some of us, we feel like the streets of America have gotten a little bit more dangerous. And our hope usually is in some elected official to solve the problem. Are elected officials important? You bet they are. For us engaging in the political process, you bet it is. We need to be active. We need to be salt and light. But we're also reminded of what Chuck Colson discovered. Chuck Colson was the one who was a special counsel for President Nixon. He was neck deep in the Watergate cover-up, went to prison for it, and while there became a believer in Jesus Christ. So he went from the special counsel of a... Uh, disastrous ending of a presidency to founding prison fellowship. And he was the one who would say, the kingdom of God won't arrive on Air Force One. Kingdom of God won't arrive on Air Force One. The hope of the world is what Jesus Christ does through his church. That's why we pray for spiritual awakening. It is time, and let me tell you, I have been right in the middle of that, bemoaning decisions made by government officials and yes, elections do have consequences. But you know what we need to be focused on more than anything? Not being disbanded from the participation in the political process. We need to be focused on our churches regaining the true lordship of Jesus Christ in every heart. And spreading that message wherever we go. And so today we're going to skip a little bit. This is crazy as we go through uh, John chapter, uh, we skip from John uh, over to John chapter uh, 15 today. We've been going through the great interruption. And as we're going to skip from Sunday, where we had the triumphal entry, to Thursday. But it takes us from chapter 12 to chapter 15. Because there's a, there's a little passage of scripture in there that's so incredibly important. John chapter 15, I want to read to you the first two verses because it reminds us that we have a choice with a very obvious response. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. What a choice. We can be a part of God's work in the kingdom or not. It's one or the other. So this morning I want to talk about the triangle of hope. It relates to our country, and it relates to us as individually, and it relates to us as churches. And it's all found in John chapter 15, in Matthew chapter 28, in Hebrews chapter 5. I hope that maybe you could jot this down, just to be reminded. Sometimes people ask me, you know, what, what are we going to, you know, what's the vision of our church? This is the vision of our church. I'm going to bring out an acrostic here in a few weeks, and you can be reminded of kind of what we need to be very intentional about. But I want us to see right now, these are the things that we need to focus on. We will do things differently from season to season. We'll have different emphases, but this will always be the core of who we need to be. Jesus continued on. He said, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Again, he's speaking to his disciples. They probably have just left the upper room. It's on Thursday. He'll be crucified the next day. He says, you become clean because you believe in me. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, 
thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. A lot of confusion in this particular passage of scripture about whether or not we can lose our salvation. Remember that Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's talking about what we should be doing as believers. We should be abiding in him. The imagery of a vine or trees is used all throughout the Old Testament, specifically in the Psalms and the prophets. And so when Jesus is relating to this metaphor, it's very familiar to them. John 14 ended with Jesus and the disciples saying that they were leaving, they were going. Where were they going? Well, they were going to the Garden of Gethsemane. While they were traveling, the Passover moon would be lighting up the entire landscape. Much different than today, they didn't have artificial lights, they had fires, lamps to illuminate the area. As they were walking, they would go past the temple and they would see that enormous outer gate of the temple in which you would have these giant figures carved of the vine to be reminded of who God had called them to be. Also, they would see in the darkness fires burning from place to place as people would use them for light as well as for warmth. And Jesus said to his disciples, listen, I am the true vine. This is important for us, especially in our culture in the 21st century. If Jesus says he's the true vine, it indicates that there are false vines. There are those who resist the kingdom of God. And we see that in our culture. Listen to what the founding father, the first chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court, co-author of the Federalist Papers, John Jay, said. Again, as we think about people that don't think Christianity has anything to do with America. First, Chief Justice, founding father, co-author of the Federalist Papers, Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers, and it is the duty as well as the privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. You go way back, that's pretty close to the founding of America. And they're saying, Christian nation, and we should prefer Christians. U.S. Supreme Court Justice Joseph Story similarly said, I verily believe Christianity necessary to the support of civil society. In July of 2006, Hobby Lobby introduced their very first July 4th ad. And uh, some of the people were a little bit troubled by that. It had four times the number of complaints of any other ad that they had ever published. Again, there's a true vine and there's a false vine. Listen to the vented frustrations of quotes like that that were in their ad. Why don't you just advertise your store and not religion? Explore all religions, the writer says. They all come down to one thing. We're all connected. Another writer Why promote divisiveness by talking about faith? If Jesus were around today, undoubtedly he would preach representing all religions that taught people to be good and caring. Another complaint. Please keep your Christian ideas in your church and out of my government and my schools. I would rather we have and teach acceptance and tolerance instead. Here's another one. A business should keep its religion to itself. In fact, a business should not have a religion. And then listen to this one. As you know, writing to Hobby Lobby, as you know, all children are born atheist. And it's only by means of brainwashing, such as you are funding and carrying out, that they are seduced into the service of religious enterprises. I shall continue to warn my friends of the danger involved in doing business with Hobby Lobby. There are false vines, and there are true vines. We live in a time in which tolerance is deemed the greatest virtue of all. Tolerance is designed to usurp truth, and we just sang about truth. And Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. There is truth and there's falsehood. Tolerance is a very disastrous and ridiculous ideology. Let me give you an example of that, something that we all learned by the time we were in the fourth grade. 
What is the capital city of the United States? Let me rephrase that. What is the capital city of the United States? Washington, D.C. It's not a trick question. I lulled you to sleep, I guess, in that other stuff. No other city in the world can lay claim to that. And as Josh McDowell writes in his new evidence that demands a verdict, he knows that we may not like that. In fact, we may wish that the United States Capitol was Kalamazoo. We may even teach our kids that Washington, D.C. Has, has no right to claim itself as a capital. But it really doesn't matter what we think because it doesn't change the truth that it is. Accepting the exclusive truth about Washington, D.C. doesn't make someone intolerant, hateful, narrow-minded, backwards, or even biased. It simply says that they are correct about which city is the capital city of the United States. Truth is what makes something right or wrong, not tolerance. And it's truth that will foster real tolerance. So Jesus is saying there is truth and there's falsehood. And he says, I am the only true vine. What does it mean to abide in him? It means to remain in place. If you've ever seen a vine, it must remain in place with the vine, must stay connected for it to bear fruit. It's written in the present tense in the original language. That means that this action should never stop. It would continue on and on and on. To abide in Christ means that we wish what Christ wishes. We desire what Christ desires. We recognize that we are in perpetual need and reliance upon him. That his words remain fresh on our minds. That's what it means to abide. C.S. Lewis appropriately said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Yes, in these turbulent days, people want to find that peace apart from Christ, but it doesn't exist just like there's not an alternate capital to the United States. It goes on to say that when you abide in me as Christians, you will bear much fruit. We think about uh, the history of our country and Johnny Appleseed. What did he plant? Just making sure you're with me there. <laughs> We're going to eat some wonderful apple pie back there in a few minutes. And you, you think about why are they called apple trees? I mean, he planted them all across the, the Midwest and taking him and introducing people to apple trees. Why are they called apple trees? Because they produce apples. What do you have a tree that doesn't produce apples? A tree. And Jesus is saying, if you are a believer, a follower of mine, you will produce fruit in keeping with abiding with me. And what does that mean? That means that we began to grow. Now look with me at Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I bet most everybody in this room could, could quote that. When Jesus said, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go into all of the world, making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as we have seen, and teach them to obey all things. And yes, I am with you to the end of the age. A vine actually does grow, and it has to be pruned so that it will bear fruit. If it starts growing too much, it won't produce fruit. It'll spend all of its energy in just growth. And Jesus said, I want you to grow and produce fruit. Growth is natural. So if growth is not occurring, where people are coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we have to ask the question, what's wrong? The late Carl F. Henry was an American evangelical theologian. He was the one who said the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. We have been given the good news of Jesus Christ, that we can be liberated from the power and the penalty of sin. 
And God has called us to abide in him, and as we abide in him, we should be growing by sharing that. Did you get a, one of the 2020 cards? I, I dropped mine off there. You have a 2020 card, one of the, the, the orange cards? I, w- I just wanted to be reminded of that. Hopefully everybody got one. If you didn't pick one up on the way out, we mailed those out. Do you remember when? For Easter of two, 2019. Did anybody know there'd be a, a pandemic in 2020? And we mailed those out in which over 300,000 people Receive that message about what it means to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's what we need to be about, not just in mailing things out, but sharing the gospel with other people, inviting them to be a part of a Christian fellowship, a Christian life. So sometimes we feel discouraged as Christians, as if no one's really interested out there. But a recent poll found that one in three Americans are thinking about eternal matters. When they were asked the question, how often do you wonder if I were to die today, do I know for sure that I would go to heaven? Here were the responses. 15% of Americans say they think about that daily. 11% said they think about it weekly. And 11% monthly. That means 37% of Americans are thinking about eternity on a regular basis. And when we feel a little bit intimidated about sharing with someone, just recognize. We have a 37% chance of finding an open door for evangelism. It was Thomas Jefferson who was talking about other things besides the sharing of the gospel, but he said each generation has a moral obligation to pass on to the next. Opportunities and possibilities for life at least as great as those received from their own parents. We have a responsibility to pass on the goodness of who Jesus Christ is with the world. So we abide in Christ, and by abiding in him, we grow individually and collectively, and we mature. And when we think about maturity, turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14. That passage of Scripture, one of the reasons I like it, especially in the New Living Translation, it says, solid food is for the mature. Those who have trained themselves to discern the difference between right and wrong and then do what is right. That's maturity. It's when we have trained ourselves to understand the difference between right and wrong, righteousness and unrighteousness, and then we do what is right. You know, there are seasons of growth that we experience, just like plants. We went through a season before the spring and the summer in which everything looked like it was no longer living. And then it all blossoms again. It grows and, and then it matures and strengthens and then it grows and matures. And as we mature, we'll, we'll exercise these type of fruit, this type of fruit, I should say. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, When you think about what God offers us, this is the type of fruit. Sometimes we we feel like we we need to just be breaking guns and have an incredible influence in the world, but what God wants us to be demonstrating is that love and that joy and that peace and that patience, that faithfulness. Sometimes in our most difficult times, it's hard to be patient, waiting on God for the outcome. But you see, God is interested in the process, thus the vine. He's talking about vines that are being groomed to have fruit. Not talking about vines that already have fruit on them. He's saying he's grooming these vines. It's the process that will result in an outcome of great fruit, yes. But there's a process. I'm in a process right now. Michelle and I, we just said, we've had to pray, just kind of being, you know, just a little bit off. You know, she says, you keep on saying that. I feel a little bit out of sync. Any of you feel kind of out of sync in life? Good. I'm glad you don't. That's great. I'm the only one in this room. Well, I just feel a little bit out of sync. It's been a tough year. been a tough and crazy season. And when I think about that, you know, I want want a better outcome. I'm I'm looking for the outcome. Are you? Are you looking for all this to be over and things to really go well? Help me out here just a little bit. You're just perfectly content with where we are. Okay. You know, we're looking for the outcome. That, that, is our, that is our human nature. That's why we pray so oftentimes. God, I want a better outcome. But God may want 
the process to be as important as the outcome. That in the process, we're faithful. In the process, we demonstrate his love. In the process, we have his joy. In the process, we demonstrate self-control. Abraham Lincoln was the one who said, I'd like to see a man proud of the place in which he lives, and I'd like to see a man live so that his place would be proud of him. What if we lived in such a way that the Lord was proud of us, that we abided in him, that resulted in growth, kingdom growth, and maturity in which we are bearing the fruit David Rice Atkinson reserves a unique place in history. And just by sharing this story, I've got to tell you that there are some historians that are not sure it played out exactly as it's often told. But March 4th, 1849, that's when inauguration would take place in March rather than in January. On March 4th of 1849, inauguration day fell on a Sunday. James Polk officially left office at noon that day, but Zachary Taylor wasn't interested in being sworn in on a Sunday. And so David Rice Atkinson, who had been elected president pro tem by the Congress, had the duty of being president for one day. If you were president for one day, what would you do? I mean, you've wanted that, that opportunity, right? You've, you've told the television no matter how many times what you would do if you were in the Oval Office, right? So what would you do if you had that chance for one day? He slept. He didn't do anything. And I think about that sometimes. I think, you know, it's a fun story. And like I said, historians somewhat question some of it. But maturity is doing something. It's not just sleeping. It's doing something. And so we think about this passage of scripture, this triangle, this triangle of hope, that's our hope. That's our hope for America. It's hope for us as individuals. It's hope for the world. That we would abide in Christ and allow through him to bring growth and maturity into our lives. You know, the passage of scripture also reminds us that, that some are not abiding. They're not truly connected to the vine. They're not yet followers of Christ. Just as Blake helped us to see. What a, great, what a great metaphor that they used. A fan, a follower, or someone that's lost. Do you know that God loves you and he's created you to have a relationship with him? Do you share that with other people? Because if you've been here over the last year, you've heard me say that every single Sunday. But are you growing to let other people know that God loves them, created them to have a relationship with him? And we all know that we are separated from God because of our sin. The Bible tells that, Old Testament, New Testament. God wants to have this loving relationship with us, but because of our sin, we are forever separated. We can't do a thing about it on our own, but thankfully, Jesus Christ can make us right with God. He can make us right for all of eternity. What we have to do is humbly repent of our sins, acknowledge that we desperately need him, and surrender our life completely over to him as Lord and Savior. It starts with a simple prayer to invite Jesus Christ to forgive you and become your Lord and Savior. And then it continues on, much like a marriage. A marriage is not over when the couple shares their vows at the altar. That's the beginning of the relationship. The relationship is abiding in him so that we can grow and we can mature. If you've never received Christ, I pray that in the next moment, you'll pray with me to receive him as your Lord and Savior. If you're already a Christian and you're a little bit disinterested in this moment, this would be a time for you to get on your knees and say, God, what's wrong with me? That I am not concerned about the lost in the world. Fix what is broken inside of me. Give me a passion and a hunger for those that don't yet know you. Pray for someone that you know is not yet a Christian. So let's pray together and thank God for who he is. God, we do thank you that you are the true vine and you're the one that gives us life in all of its abundance. And because of our connectedness to you, because of who you are, not because of who we are, but when, when we abide in you, we experience growth and maturity that leads to the greatest happiness. Lord, we know that there may be someone in this room or someone listening online that has never received you as Lord and Savior. They're not abiding in you. They can't. 
until they confess their need for you. And I pray that they would pray a prayer similar to this. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. Lord, you know that so many times in churches we say, boy, I wish our country would do that. But you have called us as churches. What an enormous responsibility, privilege, power you have bestowed upon your church. That if we will abide in you, we will see transformation take place in culture. We will see people come to Christ and we'll see people maturing in their faith so that they live and love like you do. We know you love us too much to let us stay just the way we are. You love us enough to make us like you, and we thank you for that. May we all surrender all that we are and all that we have to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper now on this Independence Day. In just a moment, I want to continue to invite everybody to just be praying and thinking about what is our hope? Our hope for America? Our hope for anything is Christ, in Christ alone. Our deacons are going to come and assist us, and they'll be at the front. And uh, whenever, you are, whenever you are ready to come down and receive the elements, just make your way down and get a, there's two cups stacked on top of each other. The top one has a cracker. The second one has the juice. Just be very careful in pulling those apart. And then we'll receive the elements in a couple of minutes. But come as you're ready to receive these elements, uh, and then we will take them all together in just a couple of minutes. While everybody is receiving their elements, just be reminded of what we have just seen in John chapter 15. Jesus talking about the vine. Here's the fruit of the vine. To remind us of what it means to abide in him as we receive these elements. We are completely ingesting these symbols of who he is 
into ourselves. That's what it means to abide, is completely ingest ourselves into Christ. And so in just a moment, we'll have a prayer and receive these elements. But continue to pray quietly. Just reflect upon what it means for you to abide in Christ. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this table and what it represents. Lord, just it, the fact that it represents true liberty, one where captives are set free, Lord, where our unrighteousness is traded for your righteousness. Lord, I, I pray that we would each take this liberty, not as an opportunity to sin or to serve ourselves, Lord, but to serve others, Lord, to, to share the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the, the freedom that comes from walking, Lord, daily with him. So, Father, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the, the sacrifice that you allow us to make with you, to, to align ourselves in our daily walk with you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Jesus, the words that Paul recalled, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. the night that we just spoke of in John 15. That's when all this happened. They just experienced this remembrance together when Jesus began to speak about these ideas of him being the true vine. From that vine, he would say, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Today is another unique day in the life of our church, not just because 4th of July, we wanted everybody to be here together because this is the last Sunday that we'll be in the sanctuary. So renovations began uh, starting tomorrow. So next week, we'll be over in the gym, and um, you'll have to find a new seat. <laughs> There'll only be three sections over there instead of four. There'll be some nice chairs and some not-so-nice chairs. And if you're late... You get a not-so-nice chair. <laughs> Isn't it amazing what God has allowed us to experience through the years in this room as a body of believers? We'll come back in a couple of months, and God will continue to move, but he'll continue to move in the gym as well. It'll be a different experience, and we'll keep you posted throughout the week as to what all that's going to look like exactly next week. But... As we wrap up in here, I wanted us to just have a brief prayer of dedication for this room, for us as a people. And then we'll sing this closing song as we worship together before we go back to eat. And uh, so let's, uh, let's all just stand together for a moment. Grab hold of the pew. I know you do anyway, but grab hold of the pew. Just a kind of symbolic of, of this room. God, we thank you for all the experiences that we have had with you in this room. No, we're not leaving it permanently. We're just leaving it for a season. When modific modifications are made that are needed. I pray, Lord, that you would bless the work that goes on here. Every worker that comes into this room would sense your presence. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to worship as we need as a church over in the gym. It has been a chaotic year. We all know that. And continues to be as we move to a different venue for a few months. Pray that you would help us to abide in you. That this wouldn't be one of those times of process in which we just wait for the outcome. But we would allow you to do a new and a fresh work within us. That when we come back into this room for the next time. God, that we would worship you like we never have before. And help that to begin even now as we sing this last song 
in this room for a few months. May it be one of our final acts of worship in here before we return. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Sing like you've never sung before. Be sure to head to the gym for food, fellowship.